Bibles, please, this evening to 1 Corinthians again. We're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read the first five verses here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're returning to our studies here. Let me also thank you, many of you, for your support throughout uh, our mission and the many things that you have done throughout that week in serving the Lord. It was a great week. And I'm sure you as God's people were encouraged. I was encouraged. Um, many unsaved were in throughout the week and has continued to pray for those ones who were in that the Lord would uh, do his work and indeed that he would save them. First Corinthians chapter 4, please. Uh, we're thinking this evening under the title, The Servants of God, The Servants of God. First Corinthians chapter 4 and the verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, and we read there, Let a man so account of us, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. Now, I think it would be useful for us to recap, uh, before we look at these verses, to recap where we've been in previous chapters. For that will aid us in our understanding of these five verses that we read in God's word this evening. If you've been out on Wednesday nights, uh, you couldn't have missed the fact that the letter of 1 Corinthians was written because there were so many problems in this local church in Corinth. Uh, but all the, all of the prop, out of all the problems, the most severe of those was the fact that this was a divided church. There, there was division among the local church. And as we go on through the book of 1 Corinthians, you will get the feeling uh, that the, there were other problems that were contributing into the division in this church. There are many things we're going to think about as we go through that were happening in this local church and quite honestly, if they were happening in the church today, you and I would probably walk out of that church and never go back to it. But we're going to be thinking about that later on in the chapters that lie ahead. But so far, we've been thinking of this division that was found amongst the Corinthian church. And you know, as I think of division in these days, it reminds me that Satan loves to divide the church. Satan was having his way in this church in Corinth. And I want to tell you, I've been on my knees this week pleading that the Lord would keep us as a church united because we, after a season of mission, the devil will be very, very busy uh, to sow the work of disunity and to do his work of disunity. And I trust that you too will plead with the Lord to protect our fellowship and to place his hand upon our fellowship, that he would keep us united in Christ. 
uh, as we go forward as a group seeking to win others for Christ and we proclaim, as we proclaim the gospel. Now the first four chapters then, Paul points out that division in the church in two separate ways. The first thing that they were doing was they were exalting human wisdom. They were looking to the, philosoph the philosophies of men in Corinth. That was a city where they loved the orders, they loved knowledge, they, they loved education. Uh, and they were bringing human wisdom into the church of Christ. And that wasn't needed. And that was causing division. But also the second part point of division was they were exalting human leaders. The people were fighting over different opinions. And they were, they were divided over the different people who they were following. In chapter 1, they were arguing about human philosophies and wisdom. And they were dragging these into the church. They may have agreed in theology, but they were divided in human opinion. And secondly, Paul tells us in chapter 1, they were divided over men. Because some were saying, well, I'm of Paul and I, I follow Paul and I like his style of preaching. And others were saying, well, I enjoy Apollos. He's a great orator. He's very intelligent. I like him. Others were saying, I'm of Cephas. And Cephas being Peter, of course. And they were all divided over the different teachers that were found within the church in Corinth. So Paul, he's been seeking to deal with these problems in the opening chapters of the letters, chapters 1 and 2, he attacks the sin of exalting human wisdom. Chapters 3 and 4, he is attacking the sin of exalting human leaders. And he shows that in the midst of it all, the basic sin in this all is carnality. We thought about that a few weeks ago at the beginning of chapter 3. You can be saved but not living as a spiritual person, not living as you ought to. So we arrive in these verses this evening at the beginning of chapter 4 in the midst of this discussion of exalting human leaders. And he's already in chapter 3 pointed out how ridiculous it is to rank men one above the other because we're all in the work of God together. Now I must confess as we come to this passage in chapter 4, uh, it comes with maybe a little more challenge to me as a pastor than it may, may even come to you this evening. It is addressed to the Corinthian congregation, but it is the definition of the true place of a minister, of a preacher of God's word, uh, the one who is called to eldership, the one who is called to pastor a local church. So this passage if I may use the term, is a somewhat awkward passage uh, to preach this evening. In these verses, we find the guideline or the standard by which the pastor is to minister God's word. And it also addresses the attitude in which the congregation are to hold him. And so it's a very important passage in Scripture. And therefore, as I've looked at these verses over these last few days, it's been a very heart-searching time for me. It's been a time of self-examination, a time of measuring myself against God's word. It seems to the careful, and it seems, you know, to the careful observer today, that the servants of the Lord around our country and even across our world are evaluated with a very different criteria than Paul sets out in these verses this evening. Servants of God are evaluated today under the criteria of those that are most successful, those who are most influential, those who are most gifted, and those who are most effective in their gospel ministry. Perhaps their ministry is weighed and either found wanting or found valued by the fact of how many members they have in their church fellowship. 
How many people they can get to sit in the pews, the attendance at the worship meetings and gospel meetings. Perhaps pastors today are weighed on the academic ability that they have, the, the degrees that they have to their name. Uh, maybe it's whether those pastors have written a book or two that is sold in the shops or whether they've written an essay or an article or a pamphlet or a tract that goes around, whether they've maybe even been invited to some of these great conventions and conferences that there are in Christendom today. And too often, this is the way that the service of God within the ministers of God is weighed and evaluated. But I want to say categorically on the foundation of the five verses that we have read together this evening that to evaluate God's servants is in this way is totally displeasing and dishonoring to God Almighty. That will become very clear as we consider these verses in our study this evening. And what we'll find is this. We're to recognize the gifts that men and women have been given within the church context that they're given by Jesus Christ, whatever the spiritual gift may be. And here in these verses, speaking specifically to men, the ministers and pastors of Christ, we are to recognize their gifting. But we're never ever to fall into the error of exalting these men. I'll say that again. In these verses we're taught that we're to recognize the gifting that God has given to particular men to preach, but we're never to fall into the error of exalting these men. I want you to note a few things tonight. The first thing I want you to note from these verses is that of the identity of the ministers. The identity of the ministers. Look at verse 1. It says there, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. That word account, let a man so account of us. It simply means that you're to recognize. It's a word for the word recognize. To say, recognize the place that God has given to the ministers of Christ. However, there's a balance that's called for. A balance to regard and to recognize the gift is given, that God has given to a servant of Christ who will lead a local assembly. But on the other hand, not to fall into the same mistake that these Corinthians were making, exalting men within the church, saying that they were following these men within the church and thinking much of the man themselves. Paul gives the instruction that we're to regard, we're to regard, we're to account for, we're to regard the servants of Christ by saying, that you have to account these men as, the, as servants. Now when Paul writes the word us. He says let a man so account of us. I believe he's writing about Apollos, Cephas and himself. He's saying in this first verse of these men who are pastors. That they have to be recognized as men who Christ has gifted. Now how are you as members of the congregation to strike a balance between recognizing the position of biblical authority that a church leader has been given by Christ without falling into the Corinthian trap of exalting a man. Well, I believe scripture gives us a, gives us a very obvious example. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, please. Acts, please, in the chapter 17, very briefly, and the verse 10. I think this is an example 
of where you will see uh, a church who were well balanced in giving the place to Paul as a man with authority given from God, but also not exalting him. Acts chapter 17 and verse 10, and it reads there, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. That's the first step. This is a healthy church because they're able to recognize God's man with God's gift and regard God's gift in God's man and that he is the minister of Christ, the preacher of Christ. And they're able in, in, Bere in the, the Berean church here, as James says, to receive the word of God with meekness. That's your responsibility when you hear the word of God from a man of God. You're to receive that word with all readiness of mind. That's one side of it, but then comes the other side of it. And we read on at the end of verse 11, And they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They recognized the servants of Christ. They recognized the gift of God that there was there, but they didn't take everything that came from Paul and Silas's mouth as something that was spoon-fed to them and not tested themselves. They went to the scriptures, they studied them for themselves, and they made sure that what Paul and Silas was teaching them was indeed true. They searched the scriptures. So they gave Paul and Silas their place as the ministers of God. They received the word gladly, but then they went and they studied it for themselves to make sure that what they were saying was true. Can I say something this evening? Never you ever take every word I say to be true. I seek, I seek to teach truth from this pulpit, and I always will. But never ever you take anything I say for granted as the word of God. You go, you study it for yourselves. You go test it for yourselves. And you make sure that what I say is true. You go and search the scriptures daily to see whether the things I say are so. Let me encourage you to do that. We're not here, and I don't expect you to be here to be spoon-fed God's word. That is not what we're here to do. We're here to deepen our knowledge. But dear friends, dear brothers, dear sisters in Christ tonight, you search the scriptures. You study God's word for yourself. You know, when I, as we turn back to the passage we're in tonight in 1 Corinthians 4, unfortunately I see that the King James Version has translated the Greek word here as minister. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. And uh, we've taken that word minister in these days and we've made it a very dignified word. It's a very great and something wonderful and something with a lot of honour, a minister. And the word minister actually is better translated in this passage as slave. So really what Paul is saying in this first line is the church leaders should be regarded as the slaves of Christ or the servants of of Christ. That's their identity. You see, when you and I serve Christ as his slave, as I serve Christ as his slave, I will best serve his people. And it's the same for you. 
as you serve him as a servant, as a, as a slave of Christ, that's when you will serve his people best. But when I serve God's people first, I won't serve him best. Do you get that? When I seek to serve the Lord first, that will be the best for his people. But when I seek to serve God's people first, well, then I don't do what's right for the Lord. So many times in the ministry, many of us, no matter what service we do within God's work, many of us become so preoccupied with meeting the needs of the people that are around us that you start to do things just because people want them done. You begin to compromise with what you know is right and you lose sight of the one whom you're supposed to be serving. And while this passage is predominantly for pastors and church leadership, there are principles in here that can be applied to us all. Dear brother, dear sister, in your ministry, you be very careful to make sure you're serving the Lord first and foremost, and not those around you. And I want you to see another meaning of this word that uses ministers here, this word slaves. Or is it, I, what I want you to see is the, the original Greek word actually means an under rower. An under rower. Uh, the Greek word is huperetes. And, and in Paul's day, uh, they used to have these long rowing boats. Maybe you've seen them in, in the old films, a wee bit like a long boat. And, and sometimes there would have been two tiers of, of rowers in them and the people at the top had longer rowers and the people at the bottom had shorter oars, but they all had to work together. And this is the word that's being used here for servants or ministers of Christ. They are under rowers, these people who are rowing the boat. But the point is this, that on these long boats there was always a master. There was always, and you'd even see it in rowing today, there, there's a navigator there at the top of the boat and they tell the rowers where to sit in the boat. They tell the rowers when to row. They tell the rowers what direction to row. And, and everything goes through the navigator. And the point that Paul is making here, when he uses this Greek word for ministers, slaves or under rowers, he's saying that we've got to listen to the master of the boat and do what he tells us to do. That master is Jesus. Now to put this in layman's terms. I am the servant, slave, minister of Christ. In this local assembly. And I am always to seek to be in touch with the Lord. In order to lead this fellowship in a way that the Lord would have it led. And this is the calling that the Lord has given to me. To serve in this way. To stand and to teach his unsearchable riches. And what a privilege the Lord has given to me. What a challenge these verses bring to my heart. And in your calling too. You're called to be a slave to Christ. The servant of Christ. Seeking to be in touch. Whatever you're called to do. You have to be, you have to be seeking to be in touch with the throne of heaven. And asking the Lord how you can serve him best. And what he's asked you to do. Can I ask you, we need to do some soul searching tonight. Is that the attitude that you have as you serve in this local church? Search your heart tonight and ask. Are you seeking to impress those around you in what you do? Are you seeking to serve the Lord with all your heart and out of gratitude to him?
Look at the end of verse 1. There's another point of identity. Not only are we servants, but there's also that we are to be stewards. Look at the end here of verse 1. It says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward. Now what's a steward? A steward just means a housekeeper. To keep things in order. That's what the servant of Christ is. He's a steward. He's a housekeeper, spiritually speaking. In other words, uh, I am not to dictate my own terms in this local fellowship. I don't decide what's going to be best for this assembly. Because as a steward, the church does not belong to me. And for any steward, the church does not belong to them. He has to do what he's told and preach and teach and practice only what is revealed in the word of God. And that's why as long as I live, this book will be our guide. Not our own thoughts, not our own ideas, but we will stand wholly on the word of God. And that is the only place a man or woman, boy or girl can stand. That is the place where we have our guide. And we're to be stewards. Now, just as I think, just as I think myself tonight, don't you think that as it's, I'm not preaching to myself tonight. That's what I'm trying to say. If I could give a word out, it would be good. I'm not trying to preach to myself tonight. Maybe you're thinking, what is in it for me here? What do I take away from this? Don't think you're getting away free. In First Peter chapter 4, we find that you too have stewardship as well. And this is a general stewardship to all believers. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 we read, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good, here's the word, stewards, housekeepers of the manifold grace of God. Dear brother, dear sister, you don't get away with it either. In the work that you've been called to do, you're a steward of the manifold grace of God. Now listen, friends, there's not one of us can get off the hook before the word of God. We're all stewards. We're all housekeepers. We might be stewards with different degrees of responsibility, but we're all required to obey the word of God. Why? Because we one day will be answerable to God. The servants of God, the servant of God, the, the, our responsibility is to honor God and to be directed by him as we seek to serve him. We see here the identity of the minister. The identity is to be a servant. And you too, the same principles can be applied. We're called to be servants and slaves of Christ. But also stewards. Stewards, housekeepers. We, we don't make up our own thing. We don't go our own way. Our, our, the command from God is that we would obey this word. That we would live it out. That we would teach it to those around. So that's the identity of the minister. But I also want you to see the requirement of the minister. Look at verse 2. This is what's required. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man... Be found faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Boy, you don't need much comment there. It tells you exactly. It's as exactly as it is in the 10. Moreover, is it required? What's the requirement for stewards? That a man be found 
faithful. That word required can also mean to seek. It's the word to seek. It can also be used as the word to demand. To demand. If you want, you could say it this way. What God seeks in men of men and women today, not even just seeks, what God demands in those who have been given the truth of God is faithfulness. It doesn't matter what the churches are doing. It doesn't matter what men are doing. It doesn't matter what theologians are saying, what politicians are saying, what the media are saying. We are to stand for the truth and be faithful stewards of the word of God. Faithful means to be trusted, to be reliable, no matter where you are, no matter who you're talking to. And I'll tell you, if you're going to be faithful in this day of apostasy, in this day of backsliding and lukewarmness within the church of Jesus Christ, in this day of human opinion and business-mindedness in ruling the assembly of God, it will cost you to be faithful. It will cost you. There's a demand to it, you know. Do you know the demand of faithfulness? I'll tell you what it is. It's found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. The church in Smyrna, be faithful unto death. That's the demand. Be faithful unto death. That's not just, there's not just a demand, but there's a detail in faithfulness. The Lord said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least. We're to be faithful in the smallest things in the church. We're to be faithful unto death. That's the demand. We're to be faithful in the least of things that we're trusted with. That is the detail of how faithful we've to be. And there's a destiny and a delight, a delight in this faithfulness. Do you know why? Because those who are willing to be faithful unto death, those who are willing to be faithful in the least of the things that God trusts, with, trusts us with, one day will stand at the beamer seat of Christ and will hear, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter thy into the joy of the Lord. But it will cost you. And I warn you, it'll cost you. It cost Daniel to be faithful. It cost him to go into a lion's den. It cost Abraham to be faithful. Yielding up his only son Isaac to the Lord. It cost three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace to be faithful. And not to bow down to the idol. It cost Stephen the first martyr. Being stoned as he was faithful to the Lord. It cost Peter who was crucified upside down. It cost Paul himself as he's beheaded for the gospel and the testimony of the Lord Jesus. It cost Esther as she went into the presence of her king to plead for her people. But she, as a faithful steward of Christ, of God, could say, if I perish, I perish. It cost Corey Tembum and her family Forgiving God's people, the Jews, refuge during war. It cost two of her family members their very lives. It cost Jim Elliot and his friends dying while seeking to bring the gospel to the, those, that tribe. I tell you, 
This is what God looks for in men and women in this age. And that's what the Lord will be looking for when he comes again. And dear friends, the signs are getting more and more as the day goes on. The birth pangs are starting. The Lord is coming. And how are you going to be found when he comes? Are you going to be found serving him? Are you going to be found wanting embarrassed before the bema? We're to be directed by the hand of God to declare the mysteries of God and discharge faithful service to God. Dear brothers and sisters tonight, you make sure you're living for the Lord each day. We see the identity of the minister, servant and steward. We see the requirements of the minister is to be faithful faithful but look finally this evening at the evaluation of the minister the evaluation look at verses 3 and 4 this is Paul speaking but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment yea I judge not mine own self for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. The word judge there in verse 3 means to evaluate someone. And Paul says, you know what it means to me that you evaluate me? Do you know what it means to me that you judge me in the Corinthian church? He says it means absolutely nothing. I couldn't care less about your evaluation. That's what Paul says. It's a small thing to me. I don't care what you think of me. Now let me tell you something. When a minister of God can stand up and say, I don't care what people think. That's a spiritual victory. Because I tell you that we preachers and pastors struggle with what people think. We do. Because we care. And the human side of pastors wants to hear, that was a wonderful sermon. Oh, that's great. What a message. You really hit the nail today. That's what the people want to hear. And any preacher who tells you otherwise, I don't know what planet they're living on. But can I say to you is tonight you beware of flattering any preacher. On the other hand, beware of criticizing any preacher. But the point is this. As you look at this passage, here's Paul. He says, I don't care what man thinks of me. I don't care even what you as the local church think of me, says Paul. In fact, he says, and I don't know, I, I have struggled over this statement myself at the end of verse 3. Yea, I judge not my own self. Paul says, I don't even care what I think of myself. Paul says at the end of verse 4, it's the Lord who will judge me. There's the point. Paul only cares about what the Lord And that really is the crux of this whole wee passage from verse 1 to 5. That it is the Lord who will judge each of our works on this earth. From the day and hour that you placed your trust in Christ, you will give an account 
for how you lived at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says, you can say what you want of me, but I'm considering that day that I'll stand before the judgment seat and I'll give account of how I lived. And you can say what you want of me, but as long as the Lord is happy with what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing it. And that's the point. Paul says it's a small thing that you judge me. And he says it's a small thing that man judges me. And can I finish on this note this evening? The reason for all this was that the servant, he was going to stand and he had this hope of reward at the Bema. And he's asking who really is qualified to judge the servants of Christ? Well, it's only God. Who's qualified to judge you for the work that you do for the Lord? Well, it's only Christ. Listen to the end of verse 4 and into verse 5. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time. What time? Until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Someday there's going to be a judgment. We dealt with this a few weeks ago. Revelation twenty-two twelve. The Lord's going to come quickly and his rewards are going to be with him. 1 Corinthians 3, we thought about that in the Bema a few weeks ago. We're not going to go over all those things. But the Lord's going to check the works that we did for him, whether they're wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and 10, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards for what's been done in the body, whether it was valuable or whether it was worthless. And God's going to take care, look at verse 5, God's going to take care of the hidden things of darkness. The hidden things of darkness. And I don't take that to refer to, refer to evil things. But simply the things that we can't see. Hidden things. Things that are in the dark to us. You know there was a lady when I was growing up. I don't think she even knows that I know this. But I heard one day. There was a lady in the Iron Hall when I was growing up. And she used to go around. And no one knew. But she used to look after some of the older ones who weren't well. And she would have brought them wee packages. And she would have brought them different things when they were in need. And she told no one. Absolutely no one. No one really knows about it. I just happened to bump into someone someday and they told me. But that's a hidden thing. She didn't go around bragging about this thing that she did. But the Lord knew about it. And she was only doing it for the Lord's approval. She did it for the Lord. And that's what I believe it means when it talks about these, these hidden things that are in, in darkness. And saying that. The bad things will also be revealed as well. There's hidden things that are good. But there's hidden things that are bad. And all will be revealed. All will be revealed. The Lord will bring to light. The hidden things of darkness. All will be revealed in that day. Nothing goes past the eye of the Lord. So the things that we can't see, that's what I believe this is talking about. The things that we as humans can't know are going to be opened up by God who knows all about the hidden things in your life. 
and he will reveal your motives, whether they were right or whether they were wrong. But you know, whoever gains the greatest praise in that beam of day, whoever gains the greatest reward, only God can make the judgment of that because he knows each of our motives. And God knows our heart. What you need to do in your heart when you serve the Lord is search the reason why am I serving the Lord in this way? Why? I have to ask the question of myself when I'm preaching, when I'm serving the Lord. Um, when I am preaching, is God glorified? When you're serving the Lord in any way in this local fellowship or in any way for the Lord outside of the context of the local church fellowship, you have to ask yourself, am I doing this for God's glory? There's only one motive that we should have, and it's that of glorifying God. First Corinthians 10, we read, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it what? All for the glory of God. That's to be our motive. Do you do everything for God's glory? You know, I want to tell you something. It is good. Don't get me wrong and don't get this wrong tonight. It is good when fellow Christians can speak well of you and can speak well of you sincerely. And I'm not discouraging you from encouraging one another. Uh, and pointing out and encouraging folks to continue serving the Lord in the way they do. Because that's, that's part of the function of a local church fellowship too. That we should be encouraging one another to keep going. But it's also good when our own conscience doesn't accuse us of wrongdoing as well. But you know what will be wonderful? Beyond description of words we can even use here on earth. What will be more wonderful is not the approval of men and seeing men and gaining the applause of men. But on that day when we stand before the Lord and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I wonder if the Lord were to return this night or if we were to go out into eternity as God's people. So often we end a gospel meeting like that, don't we? But as God's people, we need to be challenged. If this were our last night on earth, and we were to enter into the presence of our Saviour tonight, would we be found ashamed of how we were living today? Yes, we think about God's servant, and these verses are really a description of how I should be living, and you, you should be applying these verses to my life. And if I'm found wanting, I need to come before the Lord. The identity of the minister, there to be a servant, a slave. There be a steward, someone who looks after the word of God, who seeks to teach it well, who seeks to defend it, who seeks to lead a local church fellowship in the way they should be. The requirement of the minister is made so clear in verse 2, they have to be faithful. Not faithful to people. Not faithful to the church of Christ, but faithful to the Lord, which means they will be faithful to the church of Christ. And the evaluation of the minister, well, that's not for you or I to do for anybody. But that's the Lord's work. It's the Lord who will judge us. Dear friends, there are lessons for you as well. I hope you realize that you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. 
And the requirement for you in whatever work you're called to do is to be faithful. We're all servants of God. And isn't it lovely that God calls us to do his work? He could do it himself, you know. But he calls each of you to be part of his work. And I trust that you serve him well. And that one day you'll stand before his throne and hear those lovely words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray together this evening. Father, these, these verses that we have read together this evening, how they bear heavy on my own soul, and how they cause me to step back and to consider how I serve as a minister of Christ. And Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would lead me to be faithful, That I wouldn't be found wanting in any way before the Lord. Father, I pray for each of us in our service for you. That, Father, we would recognize that we are slaves and servants of Christ. That we ought to be living for you out of gratitude. For, Father, you've saved us. You sent your precious son to die for us who gave absolutely everything for us. How the saviour he shed his lifeblood for me. Therefore father we're called to lay everything on the altar. To go through with God. Our vows to pay our lives upon the altar lay. We thank you, Father, that the Spirit of God is here to do the rest so that we can experience the very best of God in this life. Father, help us to serve you as, as, as individuals. Help us to serve you well and as a, as a local assembly of your people. And Father, we pray that we would be good stewards of your word, that we would hold it with high regard and seek to live it every word of it out faithfully in these days of backsliding, in these days of apostasy. Oh, Father, we pray that you would keep us faithful. Show us the way we should go. Father, be with us now as we come to this time of prayer. We ask, O oh God, that we would know your presence and help with us. And Father, we would not forget your people Israel tonight. But Father, we think of the war that is going on over there. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, O oh God. We pray that you will intervene in that area in these days. And Father, we pray that you'd keep your hand upon your people and upon that land. Hear us, O oh God. And we ask us all in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.